And now, proper propaganda. Pull my mic back, you like that? Journalists with journalists too. We can strike back. Hardcore reporters with orders from headquarters. Behind enemy lines, sidestepping the borders. If you're just tuning in to Civic Cipher, I am your host, Ramses Ja. He has always been Ramses Ja. Most of the time, I'm Q Ward. Give or take, I think a couple Wednesdays a month, and then the last, the third Thursday. You gotta carry the one. Yeah. Oh, this, man. Anyway, uh, be sure to stick around. We got a lot more show in store for you. We're gonna be talking about uh, American history that has been rebranded as critical race theory. It's a very important thing that we need to talk about. And we're gonna use an example that is pretty close to home for us, but we feel like you'll find it in other parts of the country as well. Um, and we're also going to share a way black history fact about a gentleman by the name of Philip A. Payton Jr., who is known as the father of Harlem. You know, one of the things that we talk about on the show from time to time is housing discrimination. And uh, we're going to help paint a picture of what that could look like. And of course, one of the stories of how, you know, Harlem became one of the uh, places where black people are OK to be in. So first and foremost, though, we're going to talk about how to become a better ally. B-A-B-A, Baba. So today's Baba is sponsored by Major Threads Menswear. If you want to check it out, hit MajorThreads.com for some quality menswear. All right. Today's Baba is a bit self-serving, I admit. Um, but we decided together that we should let you know at length um, exactly how you can support us. It's sort of weird to ask you to support us because I don't know. It just feels weird. I, I well, have I mean, no the, idea. The, the genesis of our show and everything that we do is not self-serving. So when we're coming out asking for people to directly support us, it feels like the opposite of what we do. Yeah. Except we need that support to exist. We don't, right. You know, we don't get paid a salary to do this. We don't get paid anything. It there's, costs us there's money. no money in this for us. In order for us to just continue to do the show, your support is kind of necessary. So we want to remind you that you can donate civiccipher.com. It's very easy. There's a I believe the tab is called donate or support or something like that. It's right there. Can't miss it. Um, and if donating feels a little like thin for you, buy our merch. We have some cool shirts and stuff that you can buy. Um, one of our recent shirts that we think is pretty funny says, we told y'all. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it has our logo underneath. And, and we'd it's love cool. to have that conversation with you if you want to know what that means. Yeah, but you know, we told y'all. Um, but yeah, you can check out our merch. It's also on our website. Um, you can become a Patreon. The show has expenses every month in order to keep it on air and Patreon support helps. That goes a long way. It's just a little bit of money every month. And of course, share, like, subscribe, follow all of that stuff. Our social media, we're at Civic Cipher on all platforms. Your support goes a long way and we don't stress that enough on this show, but, um, we appreciate you even if it's just to listen and, and help impact the world. All right. Subscribe, like, share, follow. All that's free. All that's free. Critical race theory. Okay. The boogie, I gotta, the boogie man. Yeah, man. All right. So what I'm going to do, uh, today's reading comes from an article uh, in AZ Central. Um, full disclosure, we are based in Arizona. And... Uh, this gentleman is in Arizona and, you know, normally we don't do that type of show 
where we're talking about a place where you don't live or may not live. We have, we do have a couple of stations in Arizona. Shout out to 98.3, both of them. Um, but we feel like this story is relevant no matter where you live, because this gives insight into exactly why what has become known as critical race theory is under attack and how those attacks can exist. Because if you are of the thinking of me and Q, you might think American history is necessary to explain how we got here, why we are where we are, and what we can do in the future, what we can avoid in the future, how we can move in the future to create the reality that we want. We feel like that education is necessary. And people that have arguments to the contrary sound just like this one. And so when I read this, I got surprised and I really felt strongly about sharing it with you. So forgive the fact that it's feels a little localized. I promise it's not, and it's not intended to sound that way, but I'll read. Uh, guy got elected here. His name is Tom Horn, and he's elected to the superintendent of schooling. So he's in charge of the, the cheerings. Um, well, not mine and not cues, but you know, in general. And, uh, he has, you know, a plan of how he plans on changing things to, you know, create successful students and some of them sound very sensible you know he wants to you know put an emphasis on math and you know all these sorts of you know neat ideas but when he got to uh topic five he had quite a bit to say so this is copy paste from him through the uh az central article that i read number five eliminate critical race theory okay so we're just going to read and break it up you know and react to it all right. He says, I believe we are all individuals, brothers and sisters under the skin, entitled to be judged by what we know, what we can do, our character, ability to appreciate beauty and so on. Race is irrelevant to anything. Critical race theory teaches the opposite, that race is primary. They divide students into oppressors and oppressed based on what race they were born into, which is not their fault. Here's a direct quote of what the Tucson district taught students before I put a stop to it in 2010. I got it directly from their curriculum. Quote, unlike traditional civil rights, which embraces incrementalism and step-by-step -step progress, critical race theory addresses the very foundation of the liberal order, including equality theory, legal reasoning, enlightenment, rationalism, and neutral principles of constitutional law. I'll just finish reading this and we'll go back. Wherever I go, I ask liberals why the critical race theory movement would be against enlightenment rationalism or any of the other concepts listed in the quote. No one knew. I believe this was the biggest philosophical divide of any statewide race. Are we individuals or are we exemplars of what race we happen to have been born into? Some say critical race theory is a graduate study not taught in K through 12 schools. False. I have a list of 250 Arizona teachers who signed a shocking statement promoted by the National Teachers Union that if critical race theory were banned, they would defy the law. They would not have signed it if they were not already teaching it. They come from 25 school districts, including the largest ones. Teachers must teach academics, not use their power over a captive audience to promote their personal ideology. That is unprofessional conduct. Okay. Now. If you 
had never heard anything else except that. If you didn't know anything else except that, that might sound measured. That might sound diplomatic. That might sound like he is taking time with both sides of that argument and has landed in a place that is fair, that makes sense, that is based in a shared reality, and so forth. Um, but if you're like Ramses, or like Q, who's holding his head with his eyes closed right now, <laughs> you realize that that is the word. Those are the words of a person who is, if I were to put it kindly, I would have to say this man is ignorant. Except he's absolutely not. And then this is kind of where I end up angry. Talk to me. With so many of our discussions with regards to topics like these. I wish he was ignorant because I'd be way less mad, except he uses the language that he uses very intentionally mm -hmm. because he's absolutely aware of the truth, okay. right? The emphasis on academics, math and science and these truths that don't exist, like there's nothing different about us under the skin. Sure, you and I have made the arguments multiple times on this show and our discussions with people in person that there are far more things that we have in common than that divide us mm -hmm. however there are very very obvious truths to the differences that come with this skin yeah we just talked about it in the first half of the show yeah how about that right so pretending that they don't exist so that you can push your ideology is just as unprofessional as you would accuse mm. our teachers of being i like that and what our teachers are striking back against is not that hey we're already teaching this stuff so don't take it away it's no you guys are using that to take away true American history from our students. That way. And that's what we're going to defy. Because critical race theory, as expressed by him, is a postgraduate study. Right? But his party is using that very, very... They're using a term that people aren't familiar with. So they can attach so they can any define definition it. Yeah, to it. They can define it. All right. When they can define what this means to you and it's your first time ever hearing it, then you can wholesale buy into it and stand next to them opposed to something that's just on its face, not true. Sure. Right. And a lot of us are our means to do scholastic research. It's not that it doesn't exist, but why would we when we can just click on this thing that this guy said, believe it and then feel the way he feels. Sure. And he counts on that. Right. So anytime you have people that use very, very measured language like this, they purposely try to sound reasonable and not extreme so that it's easy to buy into their rhetoric. The idea that he's ignorant, though, would be us being willfully ignorant. Okay. We know I'll better. take that. I'll take you know that. I mean, like there's no way that this guy doesn't know what he's doing. So I want to add on there. All right. So let me go back to the top here. Eliminate critical race theory. He starts this by saying, I believe we are all individuals, brothers and sisters under the skin, entitled to be judged by what we know, what we can do, our characters, and ability to appreciate beauty, and so on. He has a Race, dream is what he wants us to believe. Sure. And then he, there's the next sentence. I think that this is important too. Race is irrelevant to anything. Okay, let me stop right here. In what world? So, so, okay. I, this is important, okay? Because even even if they're, even if we know that they are just saying stuff that they know is unfounded to appeal to a base that they themselves have 
stirred up this boogeyman, this fear inside of, you know what I mean? They made them afraid, then they gave them the solution, right? We have to still deal with that, even though it's not real, right? So I want to do that right now. Um, Tom Horn, you're describing your reality. I don't believe that, but for the sake of argument, you're describing your reality. The rest of us don't have that reality. Race is very relevant to everything. Okay. Uh, Tom, you believe that we are all individuals, brothers and sisters under the skin. I love how that sounds. No, you don't. Well, hang on. Hang on. Let me, let me, let me, let me, let me have a moment with him. Let me have a moment with him. I love how that sounds, but I wish I felt that way. That we are brothers and sisters. We come from the same creator. Uh, we have the same agency. We have the same opportunities. You know, we have uh, the same mobility, the same resources. Yeah, we're brothers and sisters in your mind. In the real world where we live, for the sake of argument, in your mind, I know. In the real world where we live, that's not true. That is your reality. And American history, the way I remember it, gave everyone, myself included, an increased capacity to empathize, gave us more insight into the wise questions that are very profound for a young child to be asking himself, a young child in Compton, California, to be asking himself, why do all the people on TV look like this? Why are all the poor people look like that? And why do police always doing this to these people? And they're always friendly to those people. And why are outcomes more like this over here and less like that over there? Nobody taught me anything about critical race theory or American history. In kindergarten, when I went to school, I knew full well that white people had it better than black people. As illustrated by the fact that at that time, I remember vividly wishing I had been born white instead of being born black. What in the world is this? This is hard. This sucks. This is scary. Okay. So whatever you think you're trying to protect people from by educating them, I think that you are creating the monster that you're trying to avoid with this type of ideology. Because once I learned the whys, once I understood, okay, this led to this and this led to this and then this led to this and then here we are. Oh, okay. God doesn't hate us. We weren't just born to die. We weren't just born to do the work for these people. We can have nice things too. We just have different battles to fight. We have different paths to walk. That changes a lot. That's inspiring. I can't change the color of my skin. I can't change the culture of my people. I can't change our history. But if I know where I came from and I know why I'm at where I am, then I can see the progress and I can see that progress is possible. This is my perspective. Okay. 
And what happened to me? I learned that. In addition to that, I learned how to empathize with other people as well. Because I had to learn about Cesar Chavez. Right? I had to learn about when, when I came to, to Arizona when I was um, young, I had to learn about all the native tribes. Not just the ones in the Southwest, but all over the country. Okay? That's American history. I learned about how all those treaties were broken, how this country was stolen, how right now we are sitting on unceded ancestral lands of the Akima and O'odam peoples right now. You're hearing my voice come from those people's lands. I learned that. I learned that Native American people aren't just a part of history, that they're still alive right now. Still suffering from the things that happen. And that is not their natural state. I needed to learn that. Because without context, you just see what you have. You don't know why they're there. You And if in a young mind, you might think that's just the way it's supposed to be. Because that's the way it is. So you're skipping over all of these things. Under this thin veneer of, you know, what you what you say is protecting children. Right. There's a, there's a part here where you say um, uh, critical race theory teaches the opposite, that race is important. Race is important. Um, divide students into oppressors and oppressed. No, at no point when I learned American history or indeed when I got into college and actually started to touch on things that would be considered critical race theory, were, it was anything ever categorized as oppressors and oppressed from what i from what i recall it was just facts this group of people had the legal right to own this group of people and everybody in the country who looked like this was owned at a point and then later they could be free and they could also be caught and sold right back into slavery and then when we learned you know we talked about the willie lynch letter a few episodes ago Learning, give, getting that historical context. I watched Roots when I was in the fourth grade in Mrs. Bond's class at Solano Elementary School. That really happened. And then I realized, wow. You can't speak your language. None of this stuff. And this was in the early 90s. So there's Africa, you know, the medallions, there was leather ropes or whatever. I started to get it. I started to make sense. There's something to be proud of. We're not, you know, nowadays when you see people searching for something to latch onto, go ahead, Q, jump in right here. It's, it's unfortunate. Um, I think I've told this story before. I once upon a time lived abroad and at dinner with friends one night was asked where I was from. And if you've ever met me, you know the answer to that question. I'm very, very proud loader. to be from Detroit, Michigan. Um, this person seemed confused, but then thinking I misunderstood the question, repositioned the question. Oh, no, 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 no. Where are your parents from? To which I answered my father, Detroit, my mother, Macon, Georgia. The look on the gentleman's face was even more confused because he's like, in his mind, he has to be wondering, why doesn't this guy understand that I'm asking him where he's from. 
not where he was born. And someone else at the table lifted their arm because they were also melanated and rubbed their skin like, no, brother, where is this from? And in that moment, I was embarrassed because I now understood what he was asking me and knew that I had no idea how to answer him. And that is the truth for all of us, of millions <laughs> of black Americans, all of us, you man. know, whose lineage traces back to slavery A in slave this country. Field. Yeah. Um, having been denied our proper ancestry, our proper ethnicity and our proper culture, there are tens of millions of us that are now looking for something that feels more regal, that feels more dignified, and that's more to be proud of than just being the children, grand grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and great-great-great-grandchildren of slaves. And it's why a lot of this really, really empty rhetoric is being appropriated so quickly. Anything that makes us out to be something more we're just grabbing onto it and in and, and, and a, and a need to feel more proud about where we're from and to put ourselves in a, in a better position when it comes to the hierarchy in this place where we have been for large portions of the country's history oppressed. You know, far more years, our people were owned and did the labor of building this country than we've been free uh, quote unquote free because even that freedom didn't come with anything that would make you have the liberties and the autonomies of a free person no land no money no animals to farm no animals to help farm land that you did get like nothing that was supposed to come with freedom no 40 acres no mule no money no capital and then if you were able to try to get a little bit of that we're going to restrict what you can do with it where you can go where you can eat where you can use the restroom all of these seemingly normal and benign things now that we get the pain as progress were once denied of us, right? So it put us in a really, really troubling position of forever looking for a history that we were not allowed to learn, right? Because the victors get to propagate their own story. Or not tell it at all. Or Mr. Tom Hall is not tell it at all. They've always been the heroes in the story, right? We celebrate the pilgrims. Oh, they're just trying at to avoid being the bad guys. We did. Yeah. We dressed up as pilgrims and presented this story that was blatantly false because the people that wrote that story, again, get to be the heroes in the story. They get to be the good guy. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, it's, 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 it's always a, been a dangerous and kind of listen, it's discouraging a, place to be in. But here we are. It's definitely a, a, a way of indoctrinating children intentionally. Um, and one side of this is we want to tell kids the truth. The other side is we don't want to tell kids anything. And well, it's, we want to tell kids the opposite of the truth, a whitewashed version of the truth or, you know, something like that. But listen, I needed to learn about housing discrimination. I needed to learn about redlining. I needed to learn about the war on drugs. I needed to learn about the way the GI bill was, not given to black vets when they came back from war. I needed to learn about envir environmental racism. I needed to learn about judicial sentencing. I needed to learn about un unfair policing. I needed to learn about all that stuff. We and everybody else needs to learn about Tulsa. 
about Black Wall Street. Also, that type we, of things that Tom Hanks expressed that he was pissed that he, he didn't know about, about right. when he was an adult. And for a man like this to come in and say, nope, we don't want to make kids feel bad. I think that's an insult to kids and an insult to everyone else and an insult to our future. But it's important you know that so you know how to deal with it, all right? Let's move on. It's time for the Way Black History Fact. Today's Way Black History Fact uh, comes to you courtesy of the Black Information Network daily podcast. Check out more at binnews.com. Again, we're talking about Philip A. Payton Jr., a.k.a. the father of Harlem. Start us off with a quote. Human lives honeycombed with little rooms thick with human beings. That is how a white journalist and co-founder of the NAACP, Mary White Ovington, described the filthy tenements that black New Yorkers were relegated to at the turn of the 20th century. As more rural Southerners arrived in the city, the teeming Manhattan slums in which African-Americans were living had become the most densely populated streets in the city. Nearly 5,000 people per block, according to one count, as as landlords rented almost exclusively to white tenants. At the same time, construction had started on the subway line from Lower Manhattan to 145th Street in Harlem, a neighborhood where an enterprising black businessman named Philip A. Payton Jr. would send the same slum dwellers, saving them from places where they faced discrimination and police brutality. The circumstances were dire, as noted by Jacob Rees, the chronicler of urban poverty. He wrote in 1900, in a 10 years war, an account of the battle with the slum of New York, that perpetual eviction is their destiny. In the years that followed, Peyton steered black New Yorkers to the area the subway opened up. Harlem was white and home to wide boulevards and brownstones and row houses. It would become the nexus of a community whose cultural output helped shape 20th century America. Little in Peyton's early life pointed toward a career as a real estate mogul. Born on February 27, 1876 in Westfield, Massachusetts, he dropped out of college and went to work in his father's barbershop along with his two brothers. They did so over the objections of their mother, a hairdresser who argued that it would make lazy men of them. As Philip Payton told the author and educator Booker T. Washington for his 1907 book, The Negro in Business. While Payton's two brothers graduated from Yale and their sister earned a college degree at what would become Westfield State University, his ambitions took him in 1899 to New York City, where he worked as a barber before getting a job as a janitor in a Manhattan real estate office. Shortly after he married, Payton opened a midtown real estate office with a partner in the fall of 1900. When the business flopped, after a few months, he struck out on his own, sustained by the sewing work of his wife, Maggie. The couple moved to Harlem, where there was a high vacancy rate in the many new brownstone buildings. White landlords found an answer to their financial woes in black tenants, with ads that read, Colored tenants welcome. Colored men makes a specialty of managing colored tenements. Peyton positioned himself to guide black tenants from Midtown to new homes. Quote, My first opportunity came as a result of a dispute between two landlords in West 134th Street, he recalled in an interview with the New York Age, a black newspaper. He goes on to say, to get even, one of them turned his house over to me to fill with colored tenants. I was successful in renting and managing this house. After a time, I was able to induce other landlords to give me their houses to manage. The landlord believed that having a building filled with black residents would complicate his rival's leasing efforts. That's foul. (laughs) 
but you know sad but true yeah as more black citizens arrived white ones fled depressing property values and creating more opportunities soon peyton became a building owner himself and by 1904 the year the subway reached harlem he incorporated the afro-american realty company to help remake harlem as a home for black citizens who faced discrimination in housing he told black investors today is the time to buy if you want to be numbered among those of the race who are doing something toward trying to solve the so-called race problem the company's brochure stated that race prejudice is a luxury and like all other luxuries can be made very expensive in new york city the very prejudice which has heretofore worked against us can be turned and used to our profit at its zenith afro-american realty was leasing or mortgaging about two dozen buildings turning harlem into a magnet for black families throughout the city and the rural south and even recent immigrants from the caribbean from the caribbean but the company promised 10 percent profit to its investors and was unable to deliver so much so soon a few dozen stockholders successfully sued in 1906 and while peyton was still able to pay his first dividend the next year he shut down in 1908 Peyton found success in his third act, the Philip A. Peyton Jr. Company. He closed his biggest deal in July 1917, buying six apartment houses worth more than a million dollars. That's a lot of money back then. But he died a month later of liver cancer at his summer home in Allenhurst, New Jersey. Even in recent decades, Philip Peyton has been remembered as the father of Harlem. Before he arrived, most of its black residents were servants in wealthy white households his own ambition along with racism in the housing market and a glut of unsold homes in harlem pushed three quarters of new york city's black population there by the end of his life including those who would usher in the harlem renaissance in the 1920s we should probably do the harlem renaissance because people don't know about that as we should yeah so anyway um you know, we talk a lot about housing discrimination and, you know, today's way black history fact puts us, you know, over a hundred years ago in the past. Um, but that's still a thing. Um, Sadly. check out Airbnb. Airbnb has come under fire many times because it's hard to, if you're black to get a house because people, it, it exists. Yeah, I tried to book a staycation for my family here. Oh, is this happened to you? Yeah. Oh, talk to me. And once they saw my picture, because you have a picture on your profile, their response to me was, no, we're not allowing people to rent homes for parties. Nope. Just me, my lady, and our kids renting an Airbnb to get out of our own home and change the scenery. Needless to say, I was not allowed to rent the home. Yeah. We did not do a staycation. Well, not just Airbnb, but this is still a thing that people are actively working on. In fact, I spoke with a with a woman whose name escapes me right now, but on the Black Information Network, who actually um, works in New York uh, on fair housing for um, Black and Brown citizens in New York City. So, um, still a very real thing. Um, like like all the things that I mentioned earlier when we were talking about why teaching American history is important. I want to call it American history because again, critical race theory technically is the academic level. Yeah. You know, critical race theory is something different. Like yeah. we can just say that plainly, yeah. but teach American history, all of it and teach it with compassion. We don't want anybody to be hurt. We don't want anybody to have their feelings hurt, but we do realize the importance of 
explaining the whys. And we're supposed to be disappointed. Yeah, we're supposed to want to do better. And that part of our country's history. We should want to do better. Yeah. Yeah. All the time. Even if it was great, we should still want to do better. That's uh, my personal philosophy. Anyway, uh, what's this dude's name again? I want to say it. Tom Horn, stop being a coward, dude. Come see me. We're both in Arizona. Anyway, that's going to do it for us here on Civic Cypher. I'm your host, Ramses Ja. He is Ramses Ja. I am Q Ward. You guys have been listening to uh, Civic Cypher. Yes, indeed. Today's show is produced by our producer, Maggie B. Nolan. Uh, hit the website, civiccypher.com. Submit any questions, any topics that you have. Once again, want to remind you to make a donation. Those donations really do go a long way. Um, we do the show for you. We do it for freedom. We're trying not to do it for free forever. Um, but uh, your support is definitely helping us grow. Um, follow us on so- social media at Civic Cipher. Um, and of course, download this and any other episode um, through our podcast. And again, if you can, share the content, like the content, you know, find us on YouTube, you know, all this. Everything's on the website. We're trying to do something special for you. Um, but truth is, we appreciate all the support you've given us so far. All right. Until next week, y'all. Peace. Stepping the borders with press passes, we bring it to you as it happens. The streets love my crew for music and rapping. Street commander slash beat expander, here to fight the slander with the proper propaganda. What's happening? You got a question, then ask it. The news is just a TV show, get past it. And this from a quiet wartime journalist headlines. Wake up, refuse, and resist. Like this, like this, like this, like this.